Hello, and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship. You name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, The Flash. Each week, I bring on amazing business leaders and entrepreneurs who are doing some game-changing work. And I'm so excited to get Auntie Griffin on the show. She's a product manager, chief product and curriculum officer at Tech 2025, one of my favorite companies, and the founder of Pivot Girl Hustle. Let's talk about her amazing career journey, some great things she's doing for 2021, and so much more. Take a listen. Hey, Anne. Hey, how are you doing? I'm super excited to be here today. Ah, I'm psyched, I'm psyched to have you. I feel like I've spoken to you more on Twitter than I have in real life. I know. <laughs> we, we, we have actually a very long like Twitter history. I would love to see like one of the stories. I'm like, you've known this person for five years. And we're like, how? <laughs> how? Because we've yelled the same things on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> That's how. Yes. Um, but, you know, as we're wrapping up 2020 and going into 2021, you know, I just was, you know, thinking like, I've got to have it on the show because she's doing all this great work. And so the shame the podcast never changes. And the first question always remains the same. So, and what was your first job? So I'm going to answer this in two ways. I'm going to give you the first, like, under the table job and then like (laughs) official tax paying job. So my first job ever getting paid was as a babysitter. And actually one of my big babysitting gigs was when Jesse Ventura won the governorship of Minnesota and the people I was babysitting for were out way past whenever they said they were going to come home. And I got a call from my parents saying, um, they requested if I could babysit overnight. And I think they gave me like $60, which was a lot to me back in middle school. Um, you know, because they were out enjoying, you know, the partying, the partying <laughs> with um, Jesse Ventura. So there, there's that. My first job that was an official <laughs> job was in college. I was an Apple campus rep, which was basically Apple's marketing program. I don't know if they still have it. They probably do uh, for college campuses. And so it's not just getting people to buy, but making people aware. And back when I was an Apple campus rep was at the time where if you were using a Mac, everyone made fun of you and like kind of laughed and you're like, ha ha ha, my PC can do these things and your Mac can't. And so it was really kind of a a culture kind of uh, battle type job to try to help people understand what Mac could do and why they actually indeed are cool. So that was my first official job. That is amazing. Okay. So from babysitting parents who who abandoned their children to go part of Disney Ventura to being Apple campus rep to where you are now. Explain this journey to me. How did we get to be having this conversation today in 2020? Yeah, so I I work in technology as a product manager, and obviously I'm in technology, and people are always asking, well, how did you get into technology? And I will say I I was very fortunate in that both of my parents already worked in STEM and were very supportive of a path in STEM. And when I was in high school trying to decide what I wanted to study in college, my mom told me, you know, 
if you decide you don't like engineering, it's a lot easier to go from engineering to like literature and science and the arts than it is to go the other way. And so I studied engineering in college. I studied industrial and operations engineering. I still had to learn code and C++, those kind of things. And I knew I wanted to be part of building technology, designing technology. I didn't necessarily always want to be the person who coded it. I didn't mind programming. I just was like, who gets to decide what's in it and why? And really, when I first went to college, the first iPod just came out, you know, before there were phones or all the other fancy stuff. It was black and white, um, very simple, you know, relatively. And I was like, who gets to decide this? This is so cool. And I want to be like that person. And really in my career, eventually in the real world post-college, I discovered this this, um, role of product manager. And I've been in product management now about 11 years. And I think for me, it's my calling because as much as I love technology, I work best in collaborative environments. I love building team. I love being a part of team culture. And it product management really combines, you know, what are we building and why with that element of collaboration and team. You know, that's and it's so true. It's like, okay, it's it's so necessary to have those skills about in terms of managing people as well. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that I you know I thought was really interesting is that like, you know, navigating STEM as a woman in business is so hard. What were some of the insane things that happened to you along the wedding is in? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I I have so many stories. I'm going to share. This is, this is like funny and sad at the same time. And I, I laugh at it now, but it's like highly <laughs> inappropriate. And so I used, to work, I used to work um, at this small IT consulting um, place early in my career And there was this guy who was nearly seven feet, maybe over seven feet. And his name was Richard, went by the name of Dick. And we also had only like two phone lines. And so if somebody called, you know, for someone, we had to answer the phone and then hand it to them. And one day someone calls, um, you know, the office and says, I'm looking for a big dick. And I'll say this person was like known for kind of skirting the lines of what was appropriate and inappropriate. So I immediately knew this was one of Dick's friends who was clearly calling the office for some reason. We all had cell phones at that time. So I don't really know why that was necessary. So I just walked over to Dick's office and said, somebody is calling for a big Dick. And he was like, well, that's me. And I gave him the phone and I'm like, now it's kind of hilarious, but also I'm like, why, why was that? Why was that my first job out of college? Like, why was I working in that environment? (laughs) I just feel like I didn't leave soon enough, you know? And so that like, there's been a lot of things. And that's like a story where we can kind of laugh at it a little now. But there's been other things where I've been in jobs where, you know, things were going really great until, you know, I had a manager's manager you know, decide to push me out where I had people who were super senior in my company telling me, oh, why haven't they promoted you yet? You know, telling me all these great things about my work and me going into the review expecting, you know, to at least hear good feedback, if not a promotion and getting tons of feedback I had never heard before, you know, in this review from my manager 
which was also, that was in itself a weird dynamic because my manager never wanted to be a manager. They ended up getting like upgraded to a manager um, after my actual manager left. And this person was told, oh, like you're just going to be mentoring someone. And then the next day they're being like, oh, this is your new manager. So it was a weird situation in which it was kind of like they started saying like, oh, your performance isn't, you know, up to snuff and all this other stuff. And, you know, it was kind of a combination of me trying to maintain my confidence and not be gaslit, but also still being gaslit and like questioning, well, was my work really not up to par this year? Like, are some of these things they're saying true? And it really, it got to a point where I actually ended up quitting that company um, because I, I knew what was going on and it was to a point where I was like, I, for my mental health cannot stay here. Um, you know, and also maintain the level of like confidence that I need to be able to interview, to get jobs elsewhere. And so I've, I've, you know, as a black woman, it's there, there are, I would say there's a lot of things that I've, I've been through in the tech world that some, some are brilliant and magical. And there's also things where I'm like, I want to help other people, you know, be able to get out of those situations themselves. Yeah. You know, that, and that's, I think, that I think all black women face. You also, you have to navigate like, okay, how much is too much, but also how do I navigate this entire universe? All I want to do is do a good job. I want to do my damn job. And you all are making my life as difficult as humanly possible just because of gaslighting. Yeah. Like how, how do you, how did you know when it was time to go? Cause I know I've had so many experiences now well, prior to having my own company where I just was like, this doesn't make any sense. Why is everybody else loves what I'm doing, but you, sir, or you, ma'am, yeah. usually, named, usually named Karen, <laughs> yes, is making my life difficult. And I know what my breaking points were. What were them for you? I mean, to me, I'll say, if knowing what I know now, I think I waited too late. I was to the point where I was going to bed at 8 p.m. because I was so emotionally and physically exhausted. I was obsessing about it every day. I was thinking about it. And, you know, it was really deteriorating my mental and physical health. And looking back on it, I think the time to have gone would have been when it's like not being able to have, you know, conversations with my manager where I'm like getting actionable feedback. Um, should have been a red flag to me, the fact that they made my manager somebody who did not want to be a manager. Uh, you know, there, there are like a number of things where red flags that at the time it was too early in my career to fully understand how bad those red flags were. Like they seem like, okay, this isn't normal, but everybody, that's the other thing about gaslighting is that like to everyone else where this is not happening to them around you, it, you know, it seems like, oh, maybe this isn't that bad or like, I'm the only one experiencing this. So maybe it is just me and not realizing you're like, okay, even if it is just me, me experiencing this doesn't mean it's not as bad as it seems. And also the other thing of understanding the behavior patterns of there are worse things to come. And I was, I was actually, you know, they always say this and I think it was like Maya Angelou and then Oprah quotes it and everybody quotes it, but like, it's not just for people, but believe people the first time when they show you who they are. And that goes with companies. When you start seeing the red flags, you know, 
you need to make sure you are putting your exit plan in place, especially if it is around performance or other things, if the microaggressions get to be too much. And through Pivot Girl Hustle, I worked with professionals who are trying to exit their current situation. And I've had people say, one of my one of the things that makes me hesitant to leave is I feel like my presence here shows other people of color that they can do it. They can be here too. But at the same time, the microaggressions are a lot. The gaslighting is a lot. Like people talking over me is a lot. And it's really this thing where, again, like we're gaslit to the point where we're thinking like, well, if we're the only one, you know, in our group at this company experiencing this, then it must be us. It's not, it's, it's not like a bigger problem and we can just grin and bear it. And it's hard to just say go somewhere else because the reality is this this can happen in any company but you know it is t- the more time you give yourself to find a company that is better aligned with your values and even finding a manager that is better aligned to manage you um you know that takes time and that's why i always think that like you should start you know planning your exit like far before you know you need to hit that emergency eject button yeah, and I think that is that is a really important point. You know, like if you start seeing things are not uh, that are out of pocket, you know, begin to build your es- escape plan and figure out how you and how you can get out on your own terms. Uh, it is this weird dichotomy because, again, like especially obviously in tech, where there's so few of us, and you want to sort of be that shining star for other pe- other people coming up to see. But I think we've now hit a point, especially in 2020, where like we have to be honest with the situations that we're in because it doesn't make any sense for us to burn ourselves out and then the next generation come behind us and also burn ourselves out. And it's not worth it. Like nothing came of this versus taking the steps to be like, I'm out and I'm going to do something better, whether it's a different company or I'm going to build my own thing, whether that's you know, as a full-time gig and a side gig, as a full-time entrepreneur or some other kind of funky hybrid, because we've got to show folks that like you have to know when to walk away and also call out the BS when you see it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing is, is like, you also still have to have that like exit plan if you're going to call out the BS, because there is an element of, I think there's sometimes people have this idea of like, if I call it out, Um, I'll be fine. And you kind of also still have to go into that as like understanding there may be retaliation, you know, for that. And I'll say like a really good example that we've seen recently is obviously, um, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry if I don't pronounce this right, but Dr. Timnit Gerbru, um, who was recently fired or resignated, however you want to call it from Google. And you think about, you know, and she is, she is a black woman in AI um, you know, I would just look up those backstory so we don't have to like go too much into a podcast, but you also think about, you know, it was just two years ago, I think it was that Google did the Google walkout. And a lot of the people who were organizers in the walkout, if not all of them, it might only be some of them, um, you know, no longer work at Google and, you know, they called things out and Google has the money and the power to not change if they don't want to. And so there, there are those elements too. And I've also worked with this young woman um, this spring where she was really dissatisfied with the way her company was handling, you know, the, the civil unrest around, you know, the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and those sort of things. And she called it out, but she's one of two black people in her company. 
And the way her company responded was pretty atrocious, but it, it was also something where, you know, I hate to say it, but it's also something where it's like, if you're going to call something out and this is not to tell people to not call it out, but there's almost this, like, you have to be mentally prepared to get a trash response back because unfortunately that is what happens a lot of the time. And, and it's just one of those things where, um, I always tell people when I work with them, especially, um, when I'm in kind of, you know, spaces in a company that are like black people or people of color. And I just let them know, like, here are things that you can do. This is, these are options. Um, you know, here are the, you know, legal resources you have, but also I'm not going to tell you to do anything that you would not feel comfortable dealing with like on your own, because that's the reality is, you know, especially when you start thinking about the intersectionality of people who have disabilities, people who are maybe here on visas, um, you know, all these other things, people might be like, I just, I really don't agree with my company, but I also really need a paycheck. So it is a consideration I always tell people to think about. And I think that's the balance. I, you know, you know, I always make this joke and people are like, Laura, I can't believe you said that. Like, I assume people are idiots until proven otherwise. And so yes. I, I go in assuming a trash response, you know, even though I'm nice to everybody and I try and see the good in people, I also have a healthy amount of skepticism and mm-hmm. don't assume everyone and their mama is going to be an ally or back you up when the, when the chips are down. And so you've got to make that smart measured decision as to, okay, if I call this out, the worst that could happen is I get fired. Am I okay with that? Yes. Have I put those things in place so that if that does happen, I got another job lined up. I have, you know, I can do this. I can do this really dope thing on on the freelance side and get paid more money for doing less work. Like you've got to, you've got to, you have to be realistic in this universe. And I think you know, in some of the circumstances that we were talking about earlier, I think some folks thought that when you're at a certain level, people won't be trash to you. And like, that is the wrong assumption. <laughs> that is the wrong assumption. And I think some people just assume like, if I can just deal with all the trash at the bottom, when I get to the top of the trash pile, I don't have to deal with more trash. And I'm like, no, <laughs> there's just more trash at the top of the trash pile. And, you know, I not, and I don't say this to discourage people, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, I have a friend who she her daughter is in high school now. And she asked me about tech and she's like, you know, I read these things about, you know, black women in tech and da, da, da. And it makes me scared for my daughter because I encourage her to be in STEM, but then I read this stuff and it makes me like, should I not be encouraging her into STEM? And I was just like, well, here's the thing, right? What industry is not full of like racism and sexism and ableism and homophobia? Like I, I'm not really aware of one, you know, and I'm like, this is at least like STEM, if it is something they're interested in, is one where you like, there is a lot more mobility in that field. And it's not that once you get, you get into STEM or once you get to the top of, you know, you get to be in C-suite and STEM, you're not dealing with, you know, all these isms anymore, but you've, I think it's like, you've learned how to deftly play the game more. And you've also probably survived that long because you've learned how to avoid the red flags and you believe people the first time they show you what trash they are. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you've gotten so far as a person of color, especially if you're a black woman in the business, it's like, you know the world is not crazy, is not good. Like there are bad things that are gonna happen. And so like, let's, let's 
not pretend that things are always sunshine lollipops and a healthy amount of skepticism, no matter where you are, no matter what circumstance you're in, you know, whether I've been corporate or when I now when I'm on my own, I always have to have a little, and it, yes, is that terrible? Yeah, but okay. No, it's also worse not being aware of it and then having the run pulled out from under you. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the other things is like people, the lack of awareness is, I'll say, so my, so my mom, so I'm, um, I'm black, but you know, my mom is white. My dad is black. And my, so my mom is a white woman. And even for her, it's like, she always thought if I just go into the corporate world and I just work really hard, I'll be able to get ahead. And one of the things my mom says that she, she's retired now. She tells me she regrets the most in her career is not understanding the game and for a while not believing the game existed. And she's not someone who would want to play the game, but she's like, I would have at least learned how to dodge some of the things that I openly walked into because I refused to acknowledge the game. And I would say that's like 30 times more true for, for black women, you know? And it's like, you have to acknowledge the game is there. You have to know how to play it. Even if you don't want to, you know, be a 48 laws of power type person, you have to really understand the rules of the game so you can avoid you know, the, the pits and sinkholes that are there. And I think there's two books that I really love that talk about this. And one of them is um, the memo by Minda hearts, which is a, you know, an amazing book for women of color and also allies to look at, you know, and I think some of it was a little bit of a response to like Sheryl Sandberg's lean in where it's like, you just need to lean in harder. And it's like, okay, leaning in is an option, but for Black women and women of color and people of color in general, there are limits to you can, like where it's like you can lean in so far and you still might not get to where you're trying to go. And also um, the other book being Career Rehab by Kanika Tolver, um, which specifically talks about all these things where I said like, oh, you need to kind of like have your exit plan, like making sure that like, you know, you're not just being complacent in your job just because you're like, oh, you know it'll be fine and I can ignore it. And she talks about like, how do you be more active? Like, and how do you build a brand in your career? So you're not, you don't feel like stuck in this job that, you know, isn't working for you. Those are some really great tips. Like the memo, I think should be like, be in every first person's day of first day of work packet. Every oh my gosh. I feel um, like it should be like, if you, yeah, I feel like it's like, if you go to college at minimum, your senior year of, of college, they just feel like this signed reading. If you, you know, only graduate from like high school or trade school, you know, if you're like not planning on going to college, it's like whatever your last year of formal education is, is just like, here you go. Because you're gonna need it eventually. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, it doesn't matter if you're working corporate or not corporate, this is real. Yeah, it, it's it's like because again, once you know the game, you're not blind to this. So, Absolutely. you know, and you know, you've gotten a really amazing company called Pivot Girl Hustle. I'd love to hear about how this all came to be and what you're offering to your clients today. Yeah. So Pivot Girl Hustle, I mean, the name Pivot is in it. And some of this was actually part of the pivot during, you know, during uh, the pandemic. And so for years, I've actually been helping people with their careers and helping them kind of either get into new jobs or helping them you know, kind of figure out like what their path is in specifically in tech. And, you know, as the pandemic started, I thought, well, 
other than talks that I do, which I don't know how many I'll have, you know, after this, I'm like, I, if something were to happen to my nine to five job, I don't really have another source of income. And in the beginning of the pandemic, we were all like, what's going to happen? Is this going to be some like great depression level stuff? And, you know, I'll say you and me obviously didn't live through the great depression. So like, I was like, I don't know how safe my job is. I don't know how hard it's going to be to get another job. So I was like, maybe it's time I take all this, you know, the work I've been doing, help other people in their careers and formalize it into a company. And really that's how I created this course called attract your dream job. Because one of the things that people ask me for help a lot with is help, you know, getting, getting into another job and especially, you know, working with their LinkedIn and getting over imposter syndrome. And the other piece being, I am really good at getting companies to come to me, even when I'm not looking for a job, just in this pandemic alone, I've had Amazon reach out three times. I think Facebook has reached out three times. Twitter reached out once, Dropbox reached out once, Vimeo's reached out to me. The list goes on and on. And that's just since March of this year. So we haven't even been a full calendar year in the pandemic. I'm not even looking for a job. I'm actually very happy in my current nine to five and I have an amazing manager. And so, but the thing is, is that this is something where I'm like, what I've learned kind of through the hard way and also through mentors and coaches is, you know, you, even when things are going well, have an exit plan. Don't just be like, I can ignore, you know, talking about my accomplishments. I can ignore having up-to-date LinkedIn or a resume just because things are going well right now, because all it takes is a surprise pandemic or, you know, something else to go on at your job for what you thought was safe to no longer be safe. And so I started it as like the combination of like, I'm really good at this. I've been helping people at this. And also I realized I don't have like a regular um, income outside of this nine to five. And I don't know what the world looks like. So I created this course and it really helps people really understand like the strategy they need to use for LinkedIn to both attract opportunities, like really amazing opportunities, as well as getting their resume actually read by somebody at the company and get invited for an interview and also teaches people how to network online. So hopefully you get to skip some of the interview steps or at least like those beginning parts where you're applying online and helping again, helping people get over their imposter syndrome and just be more confident, you know, in, in their interviews as well as negotiating. And so that is what I do with Pivot Girl Hustle. So it is a course that I offer that course, Attract Your Dream Job through Pivot Girl Hustle and I've helped people get opportunities, you know, speaking at their alma mater. Um, I've helped people get into new jobs and it's a really exciting thing because I just really love, you know, when I hear people say like, oh my God, this is, this is, I'm already seeing changes. This is already making a big difference for me. Awesome. We're so excited to have Soho Works as the sponsor for the 29 Days of Magic campaign. You know, they're designed by Soho House and their workspaces to help Creative thinkers, businesses small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe, wonderful, and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking District, one in L.A., five in the U.K. And they give you that kind of home-away-from-home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location feel safe. I've you know been able to meet some really awesome people, which haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to re record here and help build community. So if you want to find out more information about it, please go to SohoWorks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. 
So you're doing all this amazing work in the middle of pandemic. What in the world are you doing for your self-care? Man? Oh my gosh, so many things. So <laughs> I will say I have been a strong advocate and practicer of making sure I do my self-care for a very long time. I am much more of an energy management than a time management person. So making sure I actually have regular downtime integrated um, throughout each day and then each week is important to me. So a lot of it is making sure that, um, honestly, because also it's election year, staying away from the news <laughs> a lot. Um, I still actually read a lot of the news, especially you know learning more about the vaccines that are coming out and other things going on, but especially um, while we were, you know, in the midst of the election, just avoiding a lot of the political news, um, things that I just, I'm like, I don't really need to know this right now. I don't need to wake up and read this first thing. It doesn't change anything about how my day is going to go. Um, I take a lot of bubble baths. Um, that is like a pillar of my self-care. Um, I, I still shower every day. So it's like, I don't take baths as like a cleaning method, but it's like, I take a bath, like a bath almost every day and sometimes multiple on weekends because that is like where my brain relaxes. And I just always make sure I have like kind of mindless entertainment on deck, you know, serious things are also great, but I realize I'm like, I have so many, there's so many serious things in the world. And like the last mm-hmm. thing that is entertaining to me is a movie about people getting like shot at or blown up. And so I'm like, if I have to rewatch, you know, um, Steven Universe or Bob's Burgers or any of those things, like all over again, I will. And so necessary. Like I have rediscovered South Park. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait, I need this like mindless drivel that will make me laugh and just take away the seriousness of it all. Because it's heavy. This shit's heavy. <laughs> it's very heavy. And it's not, what we're going through is not normal. And so it's like whatever, whatever dosage you had for your previous mental health and mental hygiene, you need to like up that time 70. It's, it's like, I, I view it as, I view it as like medicine that you don't have to take a pill for. I'm like, you need to up that dosage, you know, like the way you would up a, like a dosage of pain medication. If you were like physically in pain, you need to do that with your mental health. You really do. Because if you don't, this, you will fall. And I think this is especially hard for, you know, us black women in business, because like we always have a mountain on our back to begin with from day one. And then we have another four that ends up getting put on our back just because of our very existence. And if you don't pay attention to that and realize, no, you can set that down. You have to be everybody's hero. And you've got to put the oxygen mask on first to yourself before you can help anybody else. That's how you get to be able to breathe and to actually take good care of yourself. Absolutely. Cause it's really hard to help someone if you can't, can't breathe. And I always say like, if you're drowning, like you can't, if you're drowning, you're actually more of a danger to other people than you are of a help to them, you know? And that's, and, and that's the thing is like, you know, and they say hurt people, hurt people where it's like, also, if you're not getting your rest, you're not, you know, taking care of yourself. Somebody else is like, eventually your body's going to break down. Something else is going to break down. You're going to either, if you're not snapping at people, you might put yourself in the hospital for stress. Like, you know, and the last place any of us need to be right now is in a hospital full of, uh, you know, COVID-19 patients. So it's like, you know, and, and I was talking to um, some really amazing friends of mine who are also black women and both of them have children. And one of them is actually, she is a teacher and has two children. Yes. And, and so she, and, and that's the thing is like, 
like, you know, people like that, where it's just like, they are having to be very, very intentional with their time, because not only do they not have a lot of it, it's like, they're also absorbing, you know, the anxieties their children are having about what's going on, like, you know, having to fight battles, you know, with their, their kids, teachers, you know, who don't necessarily want to modify and understandably, it is hard, but it's like, um, you know, it's just a very challenging time. And I think it's important everybody recognizes that what we're going through is not normal, especially if you like have kids and you're also doing zoom school while your kids are, um, you know, and also the people where it's like you have toddlers and they're just kind of, you know, you, you know, they're, you're just doing the best you can with them because the best you can. Those yeah. Little you know, kids. they're little kids and they're not quite school age yet, but like you have to be on zoom for your job. And it's just like, there's, I think there's like that extra layer of guilt parents are feeling on top of everything else. And I'm like, like, when you can, it's like I said, you have to up that dosage so much. And I think people put all this pressure on themselves to act like things are normal when it's like you're dealing with like a hundred times more than you, maybe 200 times more than what you would deal with if we just weren't in a pandemic. And even just not in an election year, the last four years have not been normal year at all. At all. And, we, and we've kind of normalized it, you know, to be able to get by kind of like when your body goes into shock, when you get injured, you know, your mental health does the same thing. And like, you know, we, we've been carrying a lot, but because it's been gradual, we've just normalized it all. You know, I think the only thing that wasn't gradual was the onset of the pandemic. Yeah. That's just like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that's, it's just, we have to take care of ourselves. I mean, I, I think the more we just keep normalizing and keep talking about it, it's no longer in hushed tones. It is what we all have to do, the better off we'll be. So my last question for you is, do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? Yeah, so I will say, I, I mentioned these books earlier, but I, I'm going to bring them up again here is I'm going to, I mean, I guess maybe this is more of an ask, but this is also, I say a give because it is great knowledge to, and it, to go into this new year, fresh start is go pick up a copy of the memo by Minda Hartz and a copy of career rehab by Kanika Tolver. Um, they, like I said, very essential reading and, or if you already have them, please buy them for someone else. Um, trust me, they, they will love you for it. I've bought this for coworkers of mine last year. And it actually like made, we went from being like, Oh, we're like good coworkers to actually like, we're really actually friends now. So, um, that is like my recommendation of knowledge to you. And then my ask is, um, you know, we are doing the next cohort of attract your dream jobs. If you or someone else, you know, would be interested and you want to, you know, you want to attract the best jobs to you. You want to be able to more easily get past, you know, that application phase. You want to go in more confidence, less uh, imposter syndrome, you know, check out my website. Um, you can go to attractdreamjob.com to learn more about the course or follow me on Twitter at Pivot Grow Hustle. Awesome. Well, and it's been such a delight to have you on the show. Uh, you have so much wonderful knowledge that was imparted, and I'm sure our audience will love it. We'll put all the details in the show notes so folks can, one, pick up those awesome books you recommended, but also sign up for her course. Like, yes. <laughs> and as we're talking about, like, do it. Um, yeah. Get yourself ready for 2021. Um, but yeah, it's just it's such a delight to have you on. So thank you so much for joining me.
Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. And that is our show.